Well, good morning. Let me add my welcome, and uh, it's a privilege to be here today. It's always exciting to uh, witness baptisms. And uh, just so you know, if you're really shy and what holds you back from being baptized is thinking, I couldn't stand up there and share my story, you actually don't actually have to do that. You could get into the baptistry and we just baptize you. But it is a privilege to hear people's stories when they're willing to share them. So thank you to the three of you for doing that today. I'm booming a bit here. Right, now let me tell you a bit about my week. On Monday, we hosted um, the... Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches, a regional leaders gathering of churches uh, from the north of England and from Scotland. And I spoke to uh, one man who told me, one pastor who told me that he nearly gave up the Christian ministry entirely in this past year because of unjust social media attacks on him. And I spoke with uh, two other pastors and prayed with them because of the stress symptoms that they're experiencing, it means they're going to have to step back from their uh, pastoral ministry for a time just to recoup and recover. Later that day, I spoke with a man I knew from um, my time in Spokane, Washington. He'd flown in to do a conference, and he shared with me uh, about his what we caught up on his life. And I prayed with him after he'd shed fresh tears about the uh, death of his firstborn daughter. She died 30 hours after uh, being born, uh, but it happened in 2017. Later this week, I spoke to a a former member who shared with me about his son and his uh, brain cancer that uh, is impacting his life in a major way. And I spoke to another person who was telling me about the stresses and strains that they're getting in their work life, which actually are just threatening their confidence. They just feel shaken about everything in their life, including really their faith. That's just some of the pastoral conversations that I had this past week. Now, what does God have to say uh, to these things? Well, please open your Bibles up to Romans chapter 8. We've been working through this chapter as a church in recent weeks. And this Sunday, we've come to Romans chapter 8 and verse, well, 28 to 30. But I'd like us to start reading from verse 26. So please, if you've got a Bible or or an app, we're actually going to put the text up on the screen if we could advance it forward. So we read from verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Uh, You might want to turn your phone on mute if it's pinging away. 
And why don't we just pray and ask for God's help? Oh, Father, please help us. Help us to grasp what your word is saying to us. Speak to us now by your Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, we, we need you and we look to you. In Christ's name, amen. The truth is we often don't know how to pray for, uh, for people in their hardships and sufferings or even in our own hardships and sufferings. We don't sometimes know what it is we should be praying Uh, We are overwhelmed by life's challenges and heartaches. And it's a privilege to, when people share their stories with us, but I'm often found thinking, wow, I don't know how to pray about this. I just want to weep with them, really. And I suppose I fear that my words will just come out insensitive and crass because I know exactly that's how I can often act. But God's Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. And as we groan, God's spirit inside every believer is interceding for us through wordless groans. That's what we've just read. To help us to lean on God with our grief and our pain. And the spirit takes our groans and intercedes for us before the Father. So we often don't know what to pray. But in verse 28, there is something that we do know for certain. And we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him. This is an amazing promise. That in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. I want us to meditate on that, to chew on that this morning. And I I hope and I pray that this will encourage and strengthen uh, Christians today. I think there are kind of two big truths in these verses, but if I were to put it in one sentence, I would put it like this. God's salvation is unbreakable for his adopted children. God's salvation is unbreakable for his adopted children. In all things, God works for the good. Now, the first thing to note is that this is not a truism for all people. It's not a superficial optimism. Well, don't worry, everything's going to turn out all right in the end. Que sera, sera, whatever it will be, will be, is still sung on some uh, football terraces, I believe. Well, notice from verse 28, it's a promise for a specific group of people. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. It's those who love God, those who've been called by God. This is specifically a promise to Christians. And what what we've heard from our friends this morning, what they've shared with us, is that their lives have been changed by Jesus. They have a new spiritual life because God has entered into their life by the Spirit. And there was a time when they were disinterested or even hostile to God, hating God, we even heard that language. But now they want to confess their repentance to God and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ because instead of being hostile to God, they now love God. They now delight in the things of God. You know, coming to church is not boring and dull. It's actually a delight to praise and worship God amongst his family. And the Bible is clear that if we remain hostile to God in this life, everything will not turn out all right in the end. Let me briefly explain why. We live in a world right now where the grace and the love of God still suffuses and sustains 
everything in the world and, and, and all that we love in the world. And whether we're Christians or not, we get to enjoy God's grace and kindness uh, as he sustains this creation. But if we keep refusing God and keep refusing him and saying, I don't want you in my life, I don't want you in my life, well, then the day of judgment is coming when God's going to give us what we ask for. He says, okay, you be separate from me and my goodness for all eternity. And that's what the Bible calls hell. This eternal separation from God and all his blessings is, is a very real possibility that is ahead if we keep refusing him and keep rejecting him. But how different it is for the life of the Christian. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. So how do we know this? We'll take another look at verse 28. Because the Christian is someone who's been, according to verse 28, called according to his purpose. A Christian is someone who's been called according to God's purpose. It turns out that God's got a plan. I think Freya mentioned that in her in what she shared. God's got a plan that he's working out in human history. So what is the purpose of God? Well, it's there in verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. This is God's plan. God's plan is that his son would be surrounded by a family of Christ-like brothers and sisters who are going to enjoy living together in a perfect new creation forever with him and with each other. That is the great purpose of God. The book of Genesis tells us that uh, God created this perfect world as Freya was sharing with us. He created a, a man and a woman in his image and, and placed them in a beautiful garden to enjoy they lived in harmonious relationship with each other and with God and with the world around them. They were the pinnacle of God's creation, given authority to rule over it under God. But as we've already considered, that, that's not the world we live in, is it? In our human rebellion against God, the image of God is defaced in us. It's still a beautiful world, but it's a broken world. And people are, are capable of, of great and beautiful things and wonderful creativity, but we're broken people. We take all the good things that God gives us and we tend to use them in harmful ways. We hurt and harm each other. You know, we can create this incredible thing called the internet, an amazing achievement. And then what do most people do on the internet? They watch degrading and harmful pornography. You know, we as human beings, we're the kind of the glory and the garbage of the universe. It's beautiful, but it's broken. All have sinned, the Bible says in Romans chapter 3. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God, in his amazing love, had this plan uh, that he's still working out. God still loves this world despite its rebellion and sin and demonstrated his love incredibly, supremely, by sending his one and only son, Jesus, into the world. God became flesh and blood Jesus has been the only human being who has perfectly reflected the image and the glory of God. And the purpose of his coming in an extraordinary way was that he would come to die for us on a cross. Through his sin-bearing uh, death, he takes the punishment for our sin. 
And through his resurrection, God demonstrates that he accepts uh, the, the, the death of Jesus as the full payment for our sins. And so now God is able to offer us forgiveness for our sins so that we can get a fresh start with God. And the resurrection of Jesus uh, into uh, his everlasting life is actually the first event of a brand new age, a resurrection age, which is promised to all who trust him. And the resurrection flags up that this brand new age is going to change the whole world. Give us the world that we long for, this beautiful world without its brokenness. The whole world will be transformed, the Bible says. All the sin and the shame, the suffering and the sickness will be gone. All the injustice and the poverty and the abuse and the violence will be gone. All that is wicked and evil, all that opposes God will be gone. And God's great purpose is to create a restored humanity, to restore his broken image back to its original glory so that we can share the family resemblance of his son and stand with him in this glorious new age to come, in this glorious new creation. That is the salvation that God is bringing about. That is the purpose to which he is working all things through Jesus. For those God foreknew, verse 29, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that we might share that we that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters that's the purpose for which god calls christians this is the destiny of all of god's adopted children now i think we really are dap, uh, sort of uh, paddling in the deep end of the swimming pool here uh, when it comes to theology uh, these are mind-stretching concepts because these Bible verses are teaching us that God's salvation plan began long before we became Christians. In fact, long before we were even born. Verse 29, for those God foreknew. Before we were even born in human history, God knew us. In the Bible, this language of of knowing is a lot bigger than knowing facts. So uh, Genesis chapter 4 verse 1 uh, in the older translations would put it like this, Adam knew Eve and she conceived and gave birth to a son. And when it relates to God, it's about his choice of entering into specific and personal relationships with people. And so Jeremiah the prophet uh, in chapter 1 of the Old Testament he receives the divine revelation from God. And, and this is what God says to him. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart as a prophet to the nations. So when Paul says God, for those God foreknew, it's language of God's choice. God's choice of us before we're even born for a specific purpose to enter into a special relationship with God. God chose every Christian believer here today. He chose to save us. Before he formed us in the womb in the, of our mother, he knew us. He foreknew us. That's what the verse is saying. And he chose to set his love upon us. He predestined us, it says. In his love, he determined our destiny, to be those who would share in this resurrection glory 
of his son, increasingly conformed into the Christ-like character and nature of his son. And that is the glorious destiny of the children of God. And this salvation plan of God is unbreakable. That's what we see in verse 30. If you move it forward. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Do you see that each is a link in the chain? A step in the process, beginning before we were even born, stretching all the way to all eternity of glory. Each person at some point in their life has a moment where they hear the good news about Jesus and his call to repent and to trust Jesus. And they do that. They put their trust in him. But why do they do that? You know, people may have heard the good news many, many times. People may have read the Bibles many, many times. They don't quite get it, but suddenly they get it. And the Bible calls this the call of God. Um, God's call is effective. My calls aren't very effective. I can't tell you how many Sundays I stood near the front door on a Sunday morning calling to my wife and my children, come on, we're late for church. Come on. And there'd be noises, yes, yes. I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting. Come on down, come on down. I'm still waiting. My calls are pretty ineffectual, but God's call is not like that. Um, just think about Jesus standing for the tomb of Lazarus. He'd been dead in the tomb for several days. Jesus calls out his name, Lazarus, come forth. There's the call of God. Lazarus goes from death to life and walks out of the tomb. This is the powerful call of God, making... Um, Spiritual dead people come alive so they put their faith in his son. And those that he calls, uh, he justifies. Because their faith in Jesus makes them right before God. That's what the word justified means. What an amazing thing to know that although you were hostile to God or even maybe an enmity to God, now that you love God, now you have peace with God, what a joy it is to know that that is true. It's a great thing when the judge pronounces not guilty. No charge to answer. You are free to live your lives without the fear of the judgment of God hanging over your heads. That's what it means to be justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. All those that God has declared justified can be absolutely certain that they will stand in glory with his son, fully conformed to his likeness. This salvation is unbreakable. Do you see the tense in which he uses the word glorified? It doesn't say that he will glorify. He says he also glorified. He, he, he sees it uh, from God's perspective as a completed action. It's as good as done. This salvation of his adopted children is unbreakable. That is the good that God is working towards in history. That's how we know verse 28 is true. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Now just think about what's involved in that phrase, in all things. What's included in all things? Does it include the good things in our lives? Well, yes, of course, that's certainly included. But amazingly, even all the bad things that happen in our lives... 
even the suffering we experience, even the heartbreaks is included in that phrase, in all things. If you look in your Bibles back to verse 18, you'll see the the wider context that this comes in. Look how Paul describes living in this present age. I consider that our present sufferings, the all things includes what he's just covered by our present sufferings. Um, Last time we looked at this, we saw three categories of suffering. The first two experienced by every human being in this broken world. Uh, the, The suffering of frustration and futility. Like every human being, we have to cope with the fact that creation sometimes just feels futile. That life never runs smoothly. There's always struggles and challenges. And in a world that rejects God, the life can seem so pointless. Then secondly, you've got the suffering of decay. Every aspect of our lives leads towards decay. Our hair falls out, our skin wrinkles. We age, we sag, we get illnesses, we get diseases, and we die. It's true of every single person in this room. But on top of these experiences of suffering, every person that every person faces, the Christian also faces this third category. We saw in verse 17, sharing in Christ's sufferings. Because the rejection and the suffering that Jesus experienced will in part be our experience if we identify with Jesus. Throughout history, in different places in the world, even today, Christians face very real persecution and suffering for their faith. The sufferings in this present experience happen because we are the children of God. So any view that looks at this verse and says, oh, this is good, it's promised that if I love God enough, my life's going to turn out great. That's not what it's saying at all. In this present age, we will experience suffering. It's inescapable. But God is working out his amazing plan and his unbreakable salvation. Just think about the Apostle Paul. Um, Do you think he was a Christian? Do you think he loved God? I would say so. And yet, if you look in verse 35, basically, that is a summary of his life story after he met Jesus. Not before, after. This is what life was like for the Apostle Paul after he met Jesus. Look at verse 35. Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, let me be clear about this point. He's not saying that all these things in themselves are good. Experiencing famine and nakedness and threats of violence and persecution and death of of those we love is not something that we have to view as good. They're not good. We don't have to live in a la-la land, make-believe world where everything pretends everything is happy. And No, these things are evil. This present life contains... A lot of groaning. And as dearly loved children, we still experience the setbacks and the sufferings that really are inexplicable from our perspective. But this is what we know. We know that in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him. So suffering is 
inescapable, and yet in all these things, which includes illness and suffering and hardship and loss, God is working out his ultimate purposes for the ultimate good of the Christian and for the ultimate good of creation. Salvation is unbreakable for the adopted children of God. Now, we often don't know the reason why we're going through what we're going through. And it seems that some people experience so much more suffering and hardship and heartache than others. But we do have an account in the Bible that begins to help us grasp what Paul is saying here. Of how God is working out a bigger salvation story, even to the sufferings of an individual's life. Just think back to the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Well, Genesis is getting a big shout out this Sunday, isn't he? Isn't it? As a book. But consider the book of Genesis. Uh, you, you, you might know about the story of Joseph because of a, a West End show. Read the Bible story, it's even better. Uh, less singing and dancing. Uh, <laughs> but consider the story of Joseph, the evil he experienced. He was hated by his jealous brothers who plotted his murder. And instead they sold him into slavery. The evil slave traders buying him and selling him just with a motive to make profit out of his misery. He was unjustly imprisoned for years after false allegations of sexual assault because of the lies and frustrated lust of the wife of his master. And yet... At the end of his life, at the end of his story, as he's standing, in a sense, the second in command of whole of Egypt, with his brothers before him, he could say this to them, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. How extraordinary that he could see that. Many evil things done to him. There must be many times where he was in tears and heartbroken for all that he was experiencing. And no doubt those who did that harm to him, they had evil intentions. But amazingly, Joseph can say that in all these things, God intended it for good. To save his own family from starvation. And not just him, but the whole of Egypt In the years of famine, because of his opportunity to store up in the good years, ready for the bad years of famine. God takes all the evil events and remarkably is able to press them into his service for producing an outcome of salvation. Very real evil and suffering can be experienced by the children of God. And yet here is the promise through which we can view all these things. None of these things will be able to break God's salvation plan for which he has called us. And in ways that we might struggle to see that in the middle of our suffering, all of it in some way will be weaved into God's plan of salvation for our salvation and for the salvation of others and the transformation of the whole world. Our suffering is not pointless. It is not purposeless. And so to pastors who are feeling emotionally fried, it's okay to take some time and rest, but we need you back in the pulpit because we need to keep uh, reminding people that this glorious treasure of Jesus is held within clay jars that are fragile and weak. But God does it because he reveals his power and his glory through cracked pots holding out the gospel. 
and to a grieving father that no life is wasted, that God knows his little girl, and that a day of glory is coming when they will see her in the new creation. And to those working through great stress and anxiety right now, that is shaking their confidence that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, I know this talk of predestination causes fear for some who just keep thinking about their loved family members who at this point are showing no, no interest. But I want to say that this salvation story is not finished yet. We don't know who God has predestined. And he calls us at different stages in our lives. Uh, we've heard some amazing stories of grandparents in their 60s and 70s becoming Christians. Suddenly, after many years of disinterest, they hear the call of God in the gospel, the good news about Jesus, and they've repented and trusted. We, we don't know the end of the story yet. God is still working out his plans and purposes. And so let's keep praying and keep inviting and Encouraging people to respond to Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. And I would say to you today, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you too can be saved. Your sins can be forgiven today. You can, you can be right with God today if you put your trust in Jesus. You just need to turn to him in prayer today. And if we can be of any help to you, well, come and speak to me or Ashley uh, or maybe you know there's friends in the church that you could talk to. We'd love to help you to know how you can follow Jesus. And know this for yourself. To be part of this family that knows in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we, we grieve with those who grieve today. We know that many are going through great trials and sufferings and hardships. But we thank you that you are a good God and that you've had great love and mercy upon this rebellious creation and you're working things to this ultimate end of glory. Father, please sustain your weary people. Strengthen us to live with hope. Help us to have the absolute assurance and confidence of our security in Christ. We ask this in his precious name. Amen. Well, what a great thing to stand on the Lord Jesus Christ, the cornerstone of our lives through all the troubles. So let's stand and sing about that. <laughs>